On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about the numbers that came out of the provincial finance minister on Wednesday about the size of Ontario's deficit. It's a little frightening. Question is, how much higher do we want it to go? Because everybody says they need more money now. Every area that has government money coming in all says they need more money. How much can we afford to give? How much have, do we have to give? Well, we'll get into that one. Also, fascinating topic. Phil Collins is now one of the top downloaded artists again. Why? Because of a couple of guys on YouTube. We'll explain this phenomenon. It is really interesting. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We got some good news and some bad news today on the financial side of things. Locally, the good news is that Hamilton is going to be getting... 48 point something million dollars as part of a provincial bailout the municipalities plan. Not quite the 62 million that we are behind operationally in the city, but boy, does that ever take some of the sting out of that rather than us looking down the barrel of a $62 million deficit that we must get rid of because you're not allowed by law to have an operating deficit. It's a lot less. Now that's good news. The, the less good news, if you will, is a provincial bit of note, and that is that um, the provincial finance minister came out today and announced what our financial situation is. Last year, you may recall, Ontario was running about a $9.2 billion deficit. Many people, including most in the Conservative Party, were screaming, that's too high, got to get that down, has to be reduced, especially when you consider our debt. Well, hold on to your toupees, because um, the debt is the deficit this year is not 9.2, it's not... 10.2, it's not 20.2, it's not 30.2 billion. It's estimated to be $38.5 billion. That means right now the government has added roughly $2,700 in debt spending for every Ontarian this year. About $10,000, a little more than $10,000 per family of four. It also means, according to Finance Minister Rod Phillips, that we are in officially a recession. I want to bring in Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business. Love having you on. Marvin, how are you today? I'm just great, thank you. So let me, if I can, you come on the show with regularity, and I do pay attention to what you say. So let me see if I can pass your first course, Economics 101. You and I have talked about this a bunch of times, debt and deficits, and you have made it clear that here in Canada, we can handle this kind of debt because our debt to GDP ratio is strong enough that we are okay as long as interest rates stay low. Am I doing okay so far? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, very good. Question is then, we've done these things, the the part of the governments of Ontario and of Canada and the other provinces have done these things out of necessity. They've done what they felt was necessary to shepherd us through this COVID situation. How high do we, if we, even if we can go up, how high do we go before we start feeling uncomfortable? Is this, are we nowhere near that right now? Or are we saying, no, no, this is, we don't want to go too, too much higher than this. Well, I think the correct answer here would be that if I'm the government of the day, I'm feeling quite uncomfortable with $38.5 billion. And, and a couple of quick things on this. Back in March, which is when normally the fiscal year begins, both the province and the federal government bring down a budget. The federal government chose not to do so because they said there's so much uncertainty with COVID, it's a meaningless exercise. We could put numbers out there, but they don't really mean anything. I was quite surprised back in March that the provincial government said, no, no, 
we're going to bring out a budget. And back then they said $20.5 billion, and that was with some contingencies for COVID-19. And at the time, many people asked me, well, is that a good number? And I said, they've just pulled that number out of their hat. Now, today we had an economic update, and you're right. The finance person says now $38.5 billion. But look closely, there's another big asterisk beside that number. That's, again, their best guess because we're not done with COVID. I, I hope we're almost done with COVID. I hope we're getting past all of this. But, you know, the number one fear of Canadians is a second wave. And if there was a second wave and we had to lock down, boy, you know, you take the 38.5, it might turn into $50 billion. Now, is it too high? Is a one-time event? No. As a one-time event, we could get through this. We just don't want to make this the new normal going forward. And so uh, Doug Ford today in announcing this, uh, sharing the stage, said, when I took office, I said I was going to balance the books by the year 2023. Well, I have news for you. <laughs> That's gone out the window. They can't get back to balance that fast. And, and I think that's fair enough to say this is perhaps a once-in-a-lifetime kind of event, and you have to roll with it and the destruction it causes. Uh, yeah, we hope it's a once-in-a-lifetime event for sure. Um, here's the part about this, though, that becomes so interesting, and people can interpret interesting however they wish. You just said you would feel uncomfortable if you were the government of the day, and you can absorb this if it's a one-off Except we know that pretty much every group, every industry that goes to the government for money is saying, look, we've now exposed that we need more money. The medical field, long-term care, autism, municipalities, affordable housing, um, homeowners need tax breaks, personal support workers, education, transportation, colleges, universities. Everybody is saying we now need another billion or two. So it's fine to say we owe this money now, but where could this go if you're the government? Well, at, at some point, you've got to say no. You've got to say there's enough. Now, let me give you a couple quick examples. This is a federal thing, but we're well familiar with the CERB, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. It is coming to an end. At the end of this month, it is coming to an end. The emergency um, uh, um, rental agreement, commercial rent agreement, it's coming to an end. There was a $4 an hour top off for nearly 350,000 essential workers for the last few months. It ends on Friday. And what the government has to say is, okay, we helped you through the worst of it. Now you have to learn to stand back on your own two feet and allocate within your envelope. So I think what you're going to see is for the last three, four months, We've watched almost daily press conferences from Mr. Ford, almost daily press conferences from Mr. Trudeau. And generally speaking, people give them pretty good marks for this. They've looked pretty good during all of this. But now we're going to swing into a new phase where their new word is going to be, no, I can't do that. No, I can't give you more. And I suspect the honeymoon will be over. Our love affair we've had with these leaders is probably going to come to an end as we head towards the fall. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just before the break, you said something that, um, you know, it, it's it's absolutely correct, of course, but it's such a hard part about governing, and it's what leads to problems for so many governments, and that is the inability or the lack of desire to say no. Under the circumstances, do you think that it's an argument that can be made that the populace would listen to when they hear these numbers for people to say we're tapped out? Or do you think people say not good enough? Long-term care needs to be fixed. Education needs to be fixed. Medicine needs to be fixed. 
I don't care what your money is. Fix it. Yeah. Well, I suspect it's going to be a little of both. In other words, uh, and forgive me for doing it to you like this, but if it's uh, should we be uh, giving the CFL a grant so we can have football games, I think most people would say, eh, we're tapped out enough. Sorry, CFL. But if it's for long-term care, especially given the kind of thing we saw there, I think the populace would say, well, I'm more in favor of doing something there. So it's a bit like a scorecard here on some things we'll say yes, some things we'll say no. And what we say yes or no to varies over time. In other words, um, I'll give you a great example with schools. I know everybody is really, really concerned about these schools starting in September. But if we get them started and there isn't a wave of COVID, if there isn't a wave of problems, then throwing more money, people are going to say, well, maybe that's not necessary. So right now there's more sympathy, but it will depend upon our experience. Uh, And I use this example. Today in Burlington, there is a total, a total of three active cases of COVID. If those people are quarantined, there really is no reason to worry about the school year. It isn't going to spontaneously appear. Children don't spontaneously create COVID-19. If there isn't a a person to infect them, they won't have it. I'm not saying to take this lightly, but there is an irrational fear around COVID that we're also having to fight against here, and and that will even come to the funding questions. Well, and some of this becomes very challenging because as I do my economic reading and try to understand what you know naturally, it is that very often, you know, if we're going to run a deficit, if we're going to be behind, one of the things we might look to is say, yeah, but you know what? Growth can help pull us out of this. We're going to naturally have a growth in the economy. Therefore, sure, we can take on a bit of a bigger deficit because it's going. To, we're going to be dragged out of this in a positive way. We're getting, though, very different views from different economists on whether or not growth is going to be a rapid rebound or growth is going to be incredibly slow to come out of this. Well, if you want me to, I'm, I'm willing to chip in on this. Um, I'm going to share good news. I do not think that we in Canada or in Ontario are in a recession today. We were in a recession in the first half of this year, but everything we've seen about the economy in May and June and July as we have been reopening points to the fact that we are growing our way out and that recession will have come to an end. Now, there's a talk about what's called a V-shaped recovery, a drop on one side Mm -hmm. matched by the other. And if you can take your V and tilt it a little bit, it's clear that the drop down was much more severe than the slope going up. It is going to take us more months to recover than it took for us to fall. But so far, every month is better than the one before. And I think, although I think it's going to take until Christmas time, we're going to get our way back there. We've already recovered approximately 75% of what we had lost. Uh, now, that last 20, 25% is tough. And trust me, you know, if you're a restaurant out there, if you're the casino, if you're the Hamilton Tiger Cats or, or the, you know, the, the, the hockey teams, it's not quite where you want it to be just yet. So we have a ways to go. But as long as we can keep doing positive things, and let me phrase it again this way, we've had three rounds of opening. Phase one, phase two, phase three. Phase three is not fully open. There's still going to have to be, I think, a phase 3B and then even a phase four. But every time we've taken that step, we really haven't fallen back. Everyone holds your breath, and we have, but we haven't seen those kinds of numbers. I, I remember quite vividly about a month ago you having a conversation with Scott Thompson uh, on the Black Lives Matters protests and said, well, we're going to pay for this in a few weeks. There's going to be a big wave 
well, we didn't get a big wave. We didn't. We didn't get a big wave, which made everybody baffled because we were all told if you go out in public and don't wear a mask and don't distance, everybody's going to get it. And so it shows, again, you know, we've been able to take these steps to open our economy, maybe with too much caution. I don't know. Only time will tell if we did this with too much caution. But every step of opening has gone well. I think the next big milestone happens in roughly three and a half weeks when the schools go. If we can get through that uh, and continue to have the numbers going in the right direction and then do what New Zealand has done. New Zealand announced this week that they have gone 100 days without a domestic case of COVID. Now, that seems like an interesting way of phrasing it. What they mean is that they saw no domestic transmission from one person to another. New Zealand is not COVID-free. New Zealand does have, I think it's two dozen or so cases, but those were people who had come back to New Zealand. Perhaps they were military people. Perhaps they were diplomats. Perhaps they were workers of some sort. And they brought COVID back into the country, but the country quarantined those people, kept them out of the general population, so there's been no domestic transmission. If we can get to something like that in this fall, then we can really focus even more on recovery. And I suspect in early 2021, when we talk about the next budget year, There'll still be a deficit. It won't be the nearly $40 billion we've got now. I'd probably be half of that. But there will be some stimulus programs, uh, you know, infrastructure-type programs, what have you, to try to keep that all moving in the right direction. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Think about this for a second. If you have kids in school or in university now or in, in that age group, and you fire up a little bit of music from your youth, there is a very good chance those kids are going to tell you your music stinks. We've all been there, right? It's been this way forever. Once upon a time, if you played your kids Benny Goodman, they would tell you they want to listen to Elvis or the Beatles. That was way better. Then if you were a little later on, if you wanted to play your music, which was Elvis or the Beatles, they would tell you that's no good. You got to listen to Zeppelin. You got to listen to Hendrix. And then if you were old enough and you played those because they were their music, your kids at that point would tell you, no, they prefer Duran Duran or Michael Jackson or something. I mean, it, this is how it works. This is how it works. We find our own music. We hate our parents' music. That's just the law of growing up or something. I've been there, both sides. I know it. I, my parents' music, I hated it. And I know my kids are not always fans of my music. Today, even if one of our tunes is okay and is palatable to today's kids, today's music aficionados. It can always be made better by simply taking a piece of it, by sampling it and having someone rap with it as well. Anyway, a funny thing happened on the way to the obsolescence of our music, or at least one song. There are a couple young YouTubers, brothers, who do a video where they sit down and listen to songs they say for the first time, old songs that they are hearing for the very first time. And they videotape themselves watching it, and they comment on the song and whether they like it or don't like it and all the rest. They chose Phil Collins' song in the air tonight. It's the first time hearing it, allegedly. Just as a reminder, in case you've forgotten what Phil Collins' in the air tonight sounds like, it's this. You know the song, right? Of course you know the song. 
absolutely you know the song and almost certainly you airdrum to that just for that moment that video has now got something like four million hits on youtube and the song believe it or not because of that is now topping the download charts today it was number two i think the other day it was up to number one on the list alan cross is the man behind a journal of musical things one of the great music writers around alan joins us now alan how are you tonight this is an interesting situation, isn't it? It shows us something can go viral and just get really stupid really quick. Well, this is where people of a certain age say, see, our music is the best kind of music. We just have to expose you to it, which I'm not sure is necessarily true, but that's well, our story. We're going to stick to it. Let's, let's just remember this saying. I, I, a very wise writer once wrote, every generation has a biological right to believe the music of their youth is the greatest music of all time. It has always been this way since the time of Plato and Aristotle. So uh, it's interesting now, though, that people have access to the entire recorded history, the recorded music history of mankind with, with just a couple of folks at your phone. There's about 65 million songs available. So what's interesting is that young people today aren't just being fed the current stuff. They're able to go out and explore and perhaps using algorithms and other predictive bits of software to pull out some of these songs from this, this giant 65 million song library, and they're being exposed to, to all they want. All they want basically are good songs. Doesn't matter what genre, what era, what anything. It's just that is it a good song? Yeah, okay, well we'll listen. May I assume that that brilliant music writer who said that once upon a time was named Alan Cross? I wish it was. No, it was a guy named Simon. Sorry about that. Okay. Well, it could have been you. I mean, that, that would have been something that would have fit with, you know, with your ability to coalesce something down to a great thought. Um, before we get to the whole idea of what you just said, though, and, and, I, and I think you're onto something there. What is it about this song, first of all? Because I know that a number of years ago, I mean, look, it was a huge hit in the 80s, but then that's the 80s. And then a number of years ago, it shows up in The Hangover, and you've got Mike, Mike Tyson singing it and playing the air drums. And now it shows up again with this one. Clearly, there's, even though it's very simple, and some people may say too simple, there's clearly something about it that works. Yeah, it's that drum fill. Uh, that has become so incredibly iconic. It's not difficult to play. I play the drums. I can tell you that it is just a simple roll down the toms. No big deal. But what makes it interesting is the power by which it was played by Phil Collins and the power by which it was captured. They used uh, the, the, those drums were recorded in a room in a studio in New York where the walls and the floor and the ceiling were made of slate. So they were very, very reverby. They had lots of natural sound, uh, you know, bouncing around uh, and, and, and very tight echo to those drums. Then they put it through, uh, it was an accident, but they ended up putting it through something called a compressor. And what happened was that compressor squished the sounds of the drums into something extraordinarily powerful. And that's what we hear. That is the result of a happy accident. And those drums from that point in the song, which is like three minutes and five seconds in, uh, and carry on to the rest, uh, you know, that basically set the, 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 the stage for drum sounds in the 1980s. And uh, Phil Collins was, was shown that idea by a friend of his named Chester Thompson. And uh, I went to a drum clinic once, and Chester said, you know, here's the, here's the fill. He plays it. I taught that to Phil Collins, and he made a billion dollars. <laughs> well, and say this about that drum solo. 
if it's not on a CD or if you don't have digital or whatever, if you're in your car driving along and you flip the channel and that song comes on the radio and you either miss the drum part so you can't air drum to it, or when the air drums come along, if you screw it up on your steering wheel as you're drumming to it, your day is ruined. I mean, that, yeah. that is that is an absolute must-do drum solo that you ha- you feel badly about yourself if you miss it up, if you mess it up. True, and it's not that difficult, so even novices could do it. Uh, you'd start yep. with that, and then eventually you're doing 2112 by Rush. <laughs> well, may- maybe there's a slight room between those two, but... Uh, this is not so. So talking about this thing though, where where this YouTube thing, this this phenomenon of what these two brothers did, is not really a a new or unique thing. If you go on YouTube, there are hundreds, maybe even more than that, but there are hundreds of people who are now getting loads of hits with this concept of sitting down, putting a camera on themselves, watching an old song, watching themselves watch an old song that they say they've never heard before, that it's the first time watching it and reacting to it and clearly there's something that resonates because there's so many people doing it they're getting so many hits but i'm not sure i quite understand the appeal or why people watch other people watch other people watch listening to music i i I don't quite get it either they're they're called reaction videos and there's a variety of them the ones we're talking about the ones where as you say people react to a song that they're hearing for the very first time Maybe this is something that can be rooted in the kind of culture where people watch other people play video games online. So, so it's it's not entirely, yeah. you know, unique. But uh, I, I don't understand the appeal. And you know, please open your phone lines. Tell us why that's so interesting. And who's watching this? I would, I'd be fascinated. Are, is it other young people? Is it older people who want to have their musical taste validated? Is the combination of the two? I, I and, and what do they get out of it? Do they um, do they laugh at the people watching it? Do they you know nod their head in agreement? Uh, it's it's I, I, I watch every every once in a while just to see what the kids think about an older song. Uh, then I move on. But again, you're right, hugely hugely popular uh, all over the web. I, I think it's your middle answer. I, I think many of the viewers, I would have to guess, are people wanting to have their songs validated and believing that they're really good and that even even the kids today will listen to my song and like it. Now, that said, Alan, many of these that I have seen, and I've, I mean, I've watched a bunch. I can't explain why I would watch, but I have. Um, many of them, you listen, you watch them do this, and you go, wait a second. There is zero chance that you've never heard this song before. I saw one the other day. I didn't watch it, but I saw the thing listed. The guy says it was his first time listening to Bohemian Rhapsody. There is no possible way in 2020 that you could have gone through life and not heard Bohemian Rhapsody. That's impossible. Uh, I I can't imagine it, but, you know, people are in their own little bubbles these days. They got their headphones on listening to only what's been recommended to them. So maybe if there was nothing in their library that that would lead the queen uh i know i i I saw something the other day somebody was uh watching smells like team spirit for the first time really really you've never even heard that riff you know even if you haven't listened to the whole song you have to have heard that the other part about this and why i think that you're onto something with the validation side of things is that that i've seen anyway None of these people who watch these songs or hear these songs for the first time, these reaction videos, they never hate the song. They never say it's awful. In fact, the two guys who were doing the Phil Collins one that has led to his resurgence, there's another one on there where they were listening to the Carpenters. We've only just begun. 
And I look and going, wait, these two guys, now I don't want to prejudge, but they're young men. And I find it really hard to believe that if they had just sat down and someone played the Carpenters, we've only just begun, they would go, man, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, it, it's some, someone is saying, look, I can get more views by telling people this is great. Yeah, maybe. That's, that's, that's a good good theory. Um, again, though, you, maybe this is a bad example, but a lot of these songs um, have gone away in the sense that you don't hear them on the radio anymore. So it's very, and you certainly don't read about the Carpenters anymore. So that's well, only just began, like, what's that, 1971, 1972. So it's a song that's almost 50 years old. Uh, so they don't have any baggage. They don't know about Karen Carpenter. They don't know about Richard Carpenter. They don't know about uh, the way she died. They don't know anything about the success the Carpenters had. So they're coming at it kind of fresh, which now that I think of it, now that I'm talking my way through it, maybe that's what the the uh, the appeal of this is. You get to watch somebody discover a great song for the first time, and you remember what it was like when you heard that song for the first time and went, yeah, this is amazing. So maybe 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 that's it. Well, if we take it a step further, then is this a way for? And again, when I when I came into this, I was saying, look, we we always love music that our parents hate, and vice versa. Um, is this a way to admit that you may like some old songs without having to say so directly or be totally uncool? It could be, but I do some teaching at Humber College. And one of the things I do on the first day is ask people to whip out their phones and read me the last 10 songs that they played. And the, 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 the width and breadth and depth of, the, of what they listen to is, is, is shocking. Uh, you know, they'll listen to Justin Bieber, then ACDC, then the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. Oh, and then there's Cardi B, and then there's uh, Megan the Sound. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, they're, it's all about the song, not about the album. They don't know much about the artist because if you're streaming, there's no context, so you don't see any pictures, you don't read any liner notes, you may not read anything about that particular artist on, 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 the, uh, on the web because the song may come and go before you even realize the title or the name of the artist. You just know you, you like it. Um, so it, it's, it's possible that the generation that's growing up now, who are in the, that sweet spot between 24 and, or 14 and 24, when music is absolutely everything to you, it's quite possible that they're, they're just not nearly as tribal as we used to be. So they're huh. open to new ideas when it comes to music. And because they have so much access, like when we were growing up, the biggest record store would hold maybe 100,000 records. And most of those records would be, or most of the store would be gear, geared towards selling you the new stuff. And if you had, wanted to buy the old stuff, well, you either had to know about it or you had to have somebody take you by the hand and show it to you. Now, with all, everything being online, it just I, I don't need to have the whole album. I'm paying almost nothing for music. I'm free to experiment. And, oh, look what the algorithm served us. And I love your word tribal because, uh, you know, as you say, it takes me back to high school and who you are or who you were in high school was in so many ways defined by what you listened to. You were a new waiver or you were a, a you know, whatever, a metalhead or, a, you know, what? and not only that, not only did it define who you were, but it also allowed you to, and this is a bad word in 2020, but exclude the people who you really didn't like their music. So, you know, we hated disco. We hated this. We hated that. 
now, I, like, uh, you know, again, I, I do think that more often than not, kids are not going to love their parents' music, but I don't get, you're right, I don't get the same sense that we're drawing ourselves down those lines quite as strongly. Now, we still have metalheads, we still have hip-hop kids, we still have pop gr girls and boys. You know, the, all those things still exist. We use music to figure out exactly who we are as human beings, and then we use that music to project to the world who we are. So it's a very important thing, especially during those coming-of-age years. Um, but at the same time, uh, the, the other issue, I guess, like we should talk about is that we don't have the financial investment in music that we used to. You've, you know, you would have to spend, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars on an album or a CD, and damn it, you were going to listen to that CD over and over again until you liked all the songs because, well, otherwise you would have wasted your money. So that was a component to be to the tribalism too, because you you invested uh, like financially in a certain genre of music or a certain scene, and you were going to defend your choices to the ends of the earth. Now, not so much. And I guess there's also a fashion component in oh, the yeah. sense that we don't watch videos today. Kids today, young people today don't watch videos the way we did on Much Music or MTV, where you would also dress the way that your favorite artists. But so, so that's another dividing line that, you, that seems to have been eliminated. Oh, yeah. I mean, try and find a music video on TV these days. It just doesn't happen. But you can get all the music videos you want online uh, anytime you want. Plus, you know, that's not what, what a lot of young people are watching. They're, they're watching their peers, you know, their makeup videos, their fashion videos, their, their you know, video game videos, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, they're, it's, it's, it's so much different than us. And I, we sound like a couple of guys yelling at kids to get off our lawn. But the, well, the no, but it really, Alan, it really does speak in my mind as you're describing all this. It really speaks to the timelessness of a great song. And well, once upon true. a time, again, we may have said, well, that's old music, but now it seems like we're more open to the idea. If it's a great song, it's a great song. It doesn't matter when it's from. Yeah, what's interesting about this is that it, it wasn't an official re-release. It was based on uh, a viral video. And it just goes to show you, you know, with things like this, with songs that are being used in uh, TikTok, for example, um, these songs can take can be resurrected for something and, and, and blow up into something you know, completely brand new resulting in new revenue streams for the copyright holder. Which happens occasionally. I mean, the, the how much money did Journey make off the last scene of The Sopranos? Oh, that is still the number one most downloaded song on iTunes. Don't is it really still? Don't Stop Believing? Uh, if, you, if you look at, at, at overall downloads in the history of iTunes, still number one. Which couldn't have been a coincidence. It had to have been from that... That that show brought it back, and then everyone went, "Hey, that's a great song. Let's play it." Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the first single off that album either, and it didn't do that well as a single from from that uh, the Escape album in the early '80s. Uh, it, it only over years acquired this sort of weird legendary status, like kind of like Toto and uh, and and Africa. You know, yeah, the same the same kind of thing. Like, wait, wait, how is this song? from this 1984 album suddenly big in 2020. It's, it, what? How did that happen? But such is the, the uh, organic and ephemeral nature of the internet. Just got a couple minutes left here. Um, the sad truth is, and when I say sad, it's because I probably don't have a share of the uh, business involvement here. Anything that starts as a unique, I hate this word, but I'll use it, organic idea almost always will eventually, if it works, and if eyeballs are there, will get hijacked. And I'm wondering how long, or maybe it's already happened, how long until record labels 
are going to be creating these reaction videos themselves, not making it look like it's a label. It's going to look like it's just average Joe or Joe's or Josette's sitting there watching this. But but how long until the labels go, man, this is a way we can get this thing to fly again? How, how do we know that they haven't already? That's what uh, I'm wondering. This I, I wouldn't be surprised if, it, if, if those if such videos exist because record labels all have catalog departments. And this is the part of the label that is in charge of making sure that older records, and we define older as in two years older or, or, or older, um, making sure that they continue to be sold, either on physical products or box sets or licensed or something like that. So what's one way to get people excited about an artist or a song? Maybe one of these reaction videos. Which, let's be honest, um, if these two guys, and they, they look like fun guys who do this thing, just we're talking about the two that brought the Phil Collins thing back. If we found out down the road that these two guys were employees of a record label who were doing this, being paid on the side to drum up interest in certain, men, we would feel like we were taken for suckers. I mean, I hope that's not the case, and I don't well, think it would be the case, but we don't know. Even if it is, I mean, the fact is that people watched it, and they, they picked up on what they were saying. They, the people agreed with them and said that, yeah, this is a good song, and all we have to do is look at iTunes and see how many people have downloaded in the air tonight over the last couple of days. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Radley Show weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.